Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is a very special one and a must listen for all dietitians. It's with Kelly Blair, a bee farmer and operator of Blair Farms in Dayton, Iowa. She is proud to be part of a fourth generation family farm raising grains such as corn, soybeans, small grains and hay, and livestock such as pigs and cattle. Kelly received her Bachelor of Science from Iowa State University in Forestry and Agronomy. She has a sincere passion for conservation and practices this every day through soil health and water quality on her own farm, in her community, in the whole state of Iowa, and nationally. She so graciously invited me to her farm for a candid and intimate look into farmers who really care about their livestock, talking about the earth and the families they feed on their own farm. Please enjoy my conversation with Kelly. I'm so glad that I'm in your beautiful home, on your beautiful <laughs> farm. There's no place I'd rather be when I have a podcast with a farmer is in person. So thank you so much for spending time with me today. And well, Thanks for coming out. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's always fun to tell my story. So, well, so let's let's talk about your story. So okay. let's go back to when you were a little Kelly. How, yes. did, how did you get into farming? Was farming part of your life when you were little? Yes. So I grew up on a uh, crop and livestock farm in western Iowa and my dad still farms and my mom was a teacher and I would much rather have been outside working with dad than really ever really working with mom. So it's always <laughs> been, I've always been the tomboy dirty kid. I mean, not like dirty kid, but you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. You weren't scared to be outside and yeah, get, get a little dirty on occasion. <laughs> so, um, I went to Iowa state and majored in forestry and agronomy, uh, mm. focused on conservation. So I knew I wanted to stay in Iowa and do something within conservation. Wasn't really sure where that would lead me. Um, while attending Iowa state, I met my now husband, AJ. And we met at a local watering hole and, <laughs> and, uh, made my way up here, um, in around uh, 2007, um, okay. is when we got married. And so, um, yeah, we, we, I guess when I first came to the farm, I worked off farm full time. I worked for a hog company developing uh, nutrient management plans. So making sure mm. that farmers are putting on the correct rate of manure. And it was the conservation port part that I really wanted. I got to work with farmers. I got to work with regulators. I got to work with, um, neighbors and kind of, you know, how, Farmers are viewed to their neighbors and that type of mm -hmm. thing. And um, started, we had two kids and decided, I don't know if I want to work full-time, but I don't know if I want to stay home full-time. So I was able to have the option of working part-time, which was perfect. So I worked part-time from home doing that same thing, writing oh, those nice. manure management plans. So it worked out really well. And then um, around, I think, 2015, 2016, I started working on contract through Iowa Soybean Association in a watershed, encouraging farmers to tr try things like cover crops, um, take water monitoring from their tile lines to see what's coming out of them, and trying to work with farmers just to really um, work on the nutrient reduction strategy in Iowa and kind of what farmers are doing to try to get better at that. And then in around probably 2017, I think, I started farming full-time with my husband, AJ. So, And um, he's been a farmer. He's part of a yes. family, a lineage of farmers. Yeah, we are on the fourth generation of the Blairs on this farm. So in the office that we're sitting in recording um, is where his grandfather was born. Oh, so, my gosh. <laughs> That's so, <laughs> so crazy. It's, it's been here for a while. So my husband grew up in the same house that he's now living. So he hasn't moved very wow. far. Um, but... Um, I think he enjoys it. <laughs> well, I hope so. I don't think he'd be here if he didn't. <laughs> um, and you enjoy it. So that's awesome. Yeah. So it was a roundabout way to become a farmer. Um, I don't know that I ever dreamed of becoming a farmer. I, but I've always loved the farm. Doesn't, doesn't matter. I love the country. I love the farm. And it's and, part of, you know, how you were raised yes. too. So it's not like it was a complete shock for you right. to the lifestyle and, right. Yeah. People always made fun of me because I said I went to Ames to Iowa State to go to a big city. And they're like, um, 
this is not a city. <laughs> this is not a big city. And I'm like, oh, it's all about perspective. From where I came right. from, it, it's pretty big. So. I mean, coming from Pishgah, since I'm familiar with the area, yeah. it is a big, that's it, a big It's city. a very big yeah. city. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Your town is how many people probably? Um, in Pisgah, I'm not really sure, but in Dayton, the closest town to us is about 500 to yeah. 800 sure. around there. So yeah. Small. So yeah, Ames is a big city. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so was your husband always in bee farming and then was that the primary farming for him and his family or? When he was growing up, it was row crops mainly. Okay. Um, his dad farmed um, pretty much corn and soybeans and his dad was into conservation along with, my dad was also um, into conservation. So some of the things that we do um, were kind of those farmers that like to try new things. And I think it's because of the generations ahead of us that did the same type of things. But, um, so when he was growing up, it was mostly, um, row crops. And then his dad added a hog building. Um, I'm trying to think of when that was right before he probably graduated from high school. And then his parents actually went to Brazil to farm. They're no longer in, in that, um, but they left right when he graduated from college. So he came back and started farming pretty much on his own wow. um, from the get-go. They kind of left and said, good luck. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and now they're back. They're, um, we farm with them. They, they still have um, a lot to do on the farm. Mm-hmm. We, we appreciate it. And then sometimes when they don't want to farm and they want to get away, we appreciate that because someday we're hoping You're to, hoping to do that as well. <laughs> So, yeah, and um, the beef cattle really came along when um, AJ and I were farming. Um, I guess he was farming full-time. I I had a full-time job. And um, we decided we wanted to expand the farm, and land wasn't really easy for young farmers to acquire. And so we decided in order to grow the operation, we'd add livestock cattle back into it. So we added a cattle barn in around 2010. And then um, we added our cow-calf pair operation. In around 2013, we bought some cows and decided to start calving and try to feed out our own calves. And then in 2019, we added another barn because we had um, we had enough people that wanted to feed their animals here along with us that we had the space for it. So um, the farm now consists of corn, soybeans, oats, alfalfa hay, um, we still have the pigs. We also have beef feedlot and a cow-calf operation. And last year during the pandemic, we just added um, direct sales beef. Um, okay. So we're selling f- freezer beef basically um, wow. to local, trying to get into local grocery stores and just sell directly to consumers. So it's been around about a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> just a few things. Yeah, just a few. <laughs> I, I blame my husband on that because uh, he really likes to take ideas and run with them. And it's good sometimes, but. <laughs> well, it <laughs> sounds busy. like you do. I mean, it sounds like you do too as well. Just yes. with like your vision of when you were growing up and how you're into conservation and working with farmers and things like that. So I, and like your families too, that right. were also into that. So it's kind of like you are all forward thinkers when it comes to farming. We like to think so. And we have a lot to learn. And that's uh, some of the goals on our farm are um, basically conservation and continual improvement because we always want to make it a little bit better than the year before. So sure. it's it's a lot of work to do that, but I think everybody always wants to do a little bit better than the, the previous year. It doesn't Absolutely. matter who you are. But so yeah. tell me about your cows. So you have your some of your own, and then you also feed some. So maybe right. kind of share what that operation is yeah. like. So we have um, our beef feedlot is a it's a monoslope barn. So it's a, basically the beef cattle are fed indoors, um, and it's you know it's not indoors indoors, but um, they're under roof. And not all the cattle we can probably hold around 450 head of beef cattle on um, the two barns that we have. Right now, I think we have around 300, 250, 300. And those beef cattle um, come in at around probably four to six months old, and they'll be fed out to around um, a year to 16 months old, and um, they're raised for beef. So not all the cattle are grown here. They aren't all calved here and grown out here. Some of them um, are 
people that we know that decided they also have cow calf operations. And instead of selling the calves for somebody else to feed out, um, we buy, or they just send them here and they pay us basically to feed them, take care of them, have the space for them, and then they'll sell them for beef and they get that check. So, um, it's called custom feeding is really what it is. So somebody else owns the cattle, but we basically take care of them from day to day. So we have, I don't know how, what percentage, but we have some that are owned by us and some that are owned by others. So it works out for us because um you know when someone else is paying you to take care of their animals it it works out okay for us that's <laughs> so. good that's and, and like you know we we talked earlier how I didn't know that was even a thing so I think that's amazing that you know people that aren't as vested into taking care of their cattle that you're doing that for them and right yeah yeah and yeah we have the facilities and they may not so um normally um if you have a cow calf operation um if you don't have a place to feed out the animals, you'll sell them and somebody else feeds them out somewhere else. So we're just helping those people to own the calves from when they're born to the end of their life to become beef. So, so feedlot. So mm-hmm. that tends to be like a controversial yes. topic. And I would coming here, I would never say, Oh my gosh, that is a feedlot. You know, when I think people have a misconception of what that is. So maybe describe like, and we'll show also, you know, some video of your barn, but you said it's a modern slope barn. They have plenty of space. I mean, maybe talk about that a little bit more. On our farm, um, the cattle, we don't have a ton of space for the cattle. So the barns that we built are mainly built for efficiency. So we could just put the cattle out on a um, dirt lot and feed them out right there. I mean, if we really wanted to, we didn't have to put a, a ton of my, money and time into it. But the barns that we built are basically there to help the animal to gain. Um, so the main thing we want the, the cattle to do is when they get into the barn, we want them to gain as much and as fast as we can um, to be able to sell for beef. And we want them to be a good product. And so the barn helps because it has a roof. So rain, um, snow, uh, sun is kept off of them. So in the summer, it's a really cool environment. So, you know, the other day, last week, two weeks ago, it was over a hundred degrees, but in the barn, it was probably 10 to 20 degrees cooler. There's a breeze going through there. And when the cattle are too hot, they're not eating, they're not gaining, and they really don't feel comfortable. So we want to make it a comfortable environment so they can do their thing and eat, drink, and be comfortable so they're not stressed. And during the winter, um, we have curtains on the north side. So if it snows or if the wind's blowing too much and it's, um, you know, again, causing them to focus their energy on just maintaining themselves instead of growing, then we can close a curtain, keep it a little warmer if we need to. But more often than not, that summer heat is really where we gain from the building itself. Um, they have water. Um, it's a concrete barn bottom. So we scrape the building probably every two weeks. Depends on how wet and mucky it is inside of there. Mm-hmm. We have um, a bale processor where we blow in um, cornstalk bales or oat bales. And they have a nice comfy place to lay and um, hang out. And they also eat some of <laughs> some of some what of we blow in there too. <laughs> and, um, and we're able to scrape it out on either side of the barn. And so all the manure is held in that concrete and we can use it on our fields for fertilizer when we want to at the time, at the rate, um, and at the place that we want to. So, um, again, efficiency, I think I'll talk about that quite a bit is really what we're going for within, within the barns and within our operation. And, um, on top of efficiency, you know, all that manure is held there. Um, like I said, if we were a dirt lot, it would just be either running off or, you know, and, and some people do that and that's, and that's okay. But for our operation, it really works well to have that barn to just keep it all here and use it when we need to. So, and that's great that you can use the manure and be able to use that when you mm-hmm. need to on your crop yeah. that goes back and feeds the animals. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the, the manure is a really dense nutrient um, for our fields. So between the, the pig manure and the cattle manure, we really don't need a lot of commercial fertilizer, except nitrogen is really the main, the main one that we need. So, um, we try to spread it out as best we can on all our fields. We take soil samples, we take manure samples. So we know what the fields need. Mm. We know what is in the manure and we're able to apply 
as needed. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like one stop shop for yeah. everything that you need. <laughs> and, and yeah. And again, you know, when we're not spending money, um, to buy commercial fertilizer, it, it works out for, you know, we are a farm, we are a business. So bottom line is, um, it just, it's efficiency. Sure. So your cows look happy. They look comfortable. Um, talk to me about the health of your cows mm-hmm. in a feedlot. Cause I think some people are concerned that sure cows aren't healthy if they're not roaming around out in the fields mm-hmm. all day. So maybe talk a little bit more about how that keeps cows healthy and keeps mm-hmm. them doing their purpose of becoming beef. So the barn, again, you know, being efficient, um, it, it doesn't look, look like they have a lot of room, but, um, they, they really all kind of bundle together. Um, cold. Even naturally, yeah. even like out in the field, <laughs> yeah. they do that. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, they, they really are comfortable because the environment is really, it's really comfortable for them. It's shaded, mm-hmm. it's kept out of the rain and, um, just, I think they, they're comfortable and they seem to show that they're comfortable. So, um, in the end, we want the animals to really do the work themselves. We don't, we don't want to have to do a lot of work for the animals to, to create a beef product. That's good. Um, we want them to do that on their own. So whether it's the genetics that we're um, using for our, our animals and, and we'll kind of talk about the technologies, but, Mm -hmm. um, if it's the genetics, if it's the feed, if it's the building, um, there are a lot of things that do that, um, and help the cattle. So the less stress the cattle have, the better that they're going to feel and the better that they're going to do. So if they're not out in the elements of heat and cold, and you know, there are a lot of nice days in Iowa, but if we can keep them comfortable consistently, that's kind of the aim for us, then they'll grow and, and do really well on their own without us doing a whole lot of work. So therefore you're not going to need to use steroids. You're not going to keep them healthier that you don't use antibiotics. so They don't get sick. And I'm assuming that's that's the goal. The goal. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, you know, along with, with everything, we're going to try to keep them comfortable. So, um, we work with a veterinarian on all the programs that we, we run through. So, um, when the calves come in, they'll, they'll be vaccinated because we know, we know there's things out there that, that the calves are going to get and that we don't want to have to deal with. So, um, we'll vaccinate them and prepare them again to do the work on their own. So if they're vaccinated and ready um, for the environment, they can then defend off what they need to. Um, we do use um, implants and we do use hormones, but when we use them, um, so if you think about it, if you have two calves and you have two grain bins full of their feed, um, we have at the end of their life cycle, they're gonna weigh the same. But the one with the implant is going to use less feed. So they're going to have feed left over in their bin, whereas the one that didn't use implants won't have any feed left. So that's, again, an efficiency thing where we can use that feed either to feed more animals and make more meat or, you know, with the same amount of feed. So that Mm. price-wise, that makes sense. Um, We can sell the feed, you know, to become something else, to to become another product, whether it's ethanol, whether it's, you know, corn can become a lot of things. So... um, we work with a veterinarian on that. And again, efficiency, if we're saving on feed costs, if they're, they're taking the same amount of, you know, less amount of feed and making it into meat, that just makes sense as far as, um, you know, you don't want to be wasteful with food. So we can use that grain, even though the other animal didn't use it. So, um, that's why we feed, or that's why we implant our, our calves to just be more efficient with, with their bodies. So on their own. The great upcyclers right. and everything, right? Like <laughs> right. they turn something that even if you're using an, an implant to help them use less feed, then they're just going to be more efficient as far right. as creating that product for us right. in the end run. Exactly. Exactly. Just a little bit of percentage, you know, goes, it goes a long way in the, at the end. So, mm-hmm. and for hormones, as far as what you're using that way, it's not hormones that are translating into what we're eating as far right. as the beef right. it's to help them grow, to meet their, the potential of yep. what their purpose is. Again, it's helping their bodies to do what their life goal is to be, is, is to become. Yep. And, and I think a lot of people misunderstand like their beef have goals, just like right. humans have goals. Like we, they're, <laughs> right. they're supposed to do a certain thing. So it's kind of like we have to get rid of that misconception right. that they are all doing the same thing because right. they're not. Exactly. And yeah, and they're all a little different and, you know, we want them to be consistent with one another. Um, 
Um, but, and, and that's, you know, that's one of the hard parts of looking at the animals is, um, you know, their end goal is to become meat. And, mm. but I appreciate that because during their, their lifespan, I want them to be comfortable and I want them to do what they can do on their own. I don't want to have to nurse it the whole way through. Um, Absolutely. you know, if they're, and if they're sick, um, I don't want to watch an animal be in pain. I don't want to watch it be sick because, um, you know, when we toured out there today, um, they all came up and were really interested in us. And so if they're all kind of laying there and they feel dumpy, they're not eating, um, that's not their life goal. And so if, if we need to individually take, and that's another part of the barn is we're not having to go out into a big pasture to find these animals that are, are sick Mm. or not doing very well. We can see them right there when we're feeding every day. And so we can take one or two and say, these aren't really looking very good. And so we can give them antibiotics or any, any medicine that they need. We work with a vet. So they, they're the ones that basically tell us, you know, we work with them pretty well every day to say, Hey, we got a question about this. What do you think? And we'll hopefully make them better and get better. And, um, and we do follow withdrawal. So we know as producers that, um, if we have an antibiotic that we give them, they can't they can't go to a processor to become meat within a certain amount of time, and we know that, and we don't want that because that's not good. For, right, it's not right. good for anybody. <laughs> and you know, I have my own kids that I feed um, our beef to, and I don't want that for them. I don't want that for anybody else. But I do know that I want them to have a good quality animal in the end. Right. Yeah. And of course, thinking about feeding your own family, you're yeah. like, I'm not going to do that to my family. Why don't we do it to any other Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> so when you're talking about the whole kind of flow of your farm and how you try to make everything comfortable and cows comfortable, your family comfortable, your farm comfortable, kind of tell me about sustainability conservation that you're doing on your farm. The cattle really make conservation easy on our farm. So there's a lot of different things that we do. <clears throat> Sorry. There's a lot of different things that we do, um, and they all really work together. Um, so when we first started farming around 15 years ago, we were pretty well corn-corn rotation, full tillage, and we had pigs. Um, now we have um, we do as reduced tillage as we can. So all of our soybeans are um, they go into a no-till field, so we don't we don't dig up any dirt or anything. We just okay. plant them right into the corn stalks. Um, we do strip till ahead of corn where we actually just till up a, a strip and then plant it right into that. So instead of the whole pass being tilled, there's like, you know, 30% of it tilled. Um, and we're also trying, our big push lately has to been to be no-till corn as well. So we're trying okay. to learn and trying to get that. So less tillage just means less erosion, less issues um, with things like that. We've added cover crops into after our corn and soybeans um, will plant cover crops. And so they'll start growing um, after the corn and soybeans are taking out, taken out. They'll kind of hang out over the winter. And then in the spring, they'll start growing again. And then we'll kill those and plant our cash crop back into it. But kind of the goal is to keep something growing in the soil majority of the time. So if there's any leftover um nutrients in the soil that that cover crop is actually retaining it there um protecting the soil and um cleaning up the water basically Mm. um coming out of the field in the meantime we've extended the rotation to include oats so we grow oats for oat milk and then that's a different kind of time of year so our oats go in around end of may our end of april um sorry end of march april and um, they'll start growing, and then our corn and soybeans goes in around, you know, April, May time frame. So we're starting to grow something a little sooner. Those then, the oats come out um, around July, mid-July, July 4th to mid-July, and those will come out, and we'll bale the straw that comes off of that, and then we're able to use that straw for bedding or for feed, mm-hmm. and then that comes back to be put on as fertilizer in some way. So it's either, it's taken off the field, but it comes back in some way. And then we're able to put a cover crop after those oats. So in July, there's nothing growing. So we make sure there's something growing right after that. We can either bale it again to use as feed, or we can graze it, 
or we can use it, you know, we'll, we'll grow corn after that oat. So that's another area and space in the middle of the year we can apply manure. Um, and so that makes the difference when there's something, you know, kind of growing in a different time of year rather than the fall and spring. When we typically apply manure, we have one more space Mm -hmm. and it spreads out our labor as a farm because instead of having all of the acres at one time, either being planted or harvested, it kind of, I mean, it makes us busy all year long, but there's just less of it, you know, all year long. Um, the alfalfa that is grown, we can feed it, we can sell it. Um, and it's in rotation for about three to four years. And so just having that growing constantly, um, again, is something, it breaks up the pest cycle of a rotation. The oats do that too, where, you know, there's, there's, um, diseases, there's insects, there's weeds that come along with rotating things in the same way every year. And so by doing that, we're breaking up that cycle and having something growing year round, cleaning up the water, building our soil. And so everything basically that I just said, (laughs) except for the soybeans, um, can be fed to the cattle. So the oats, the oat milk, not a lot of people do that because there's a risk. Um, We have to grow that to food grade. And so if you don't make it, they don't want the oats. And so we have to have a, you know, somewhere else to go with that. Well, we have this nice feedlot that we can say, well, let's just mix it into the ration. We'll work with our nutritionist. How many oats, you know, how many bushel oats do we need in our ration to make it a good ration for them to grow? And we'll just add it back in. So it really, everything just kind of works together and it makes it really easy to do conservation practices just because. It's just natural, <laughs> which is kind of your passion. I mean, that's kind right. of like your passion right. too. So it's, how much you probably have a little hand in that when you're, I like to think yeah. so. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> I really like to think so, but you know, there's, there's a lot of data that goes along with it too. So, you know, we take soil samples every three to four years. So we know what our fields need. Um, we use manure as fertilizer. So we know what's going on. We take samples um, through, so In central Iowa, we tile a lot of our ground. In order to farm it, we have to actually drain it. Now, this year is a little different because it's dry, but we know that because we're tiling it, um, we're moving that water faster down the system, and there are issues with it. So we've been monitoring uh, some tiles of ours for since 2014. And the first year we sampled, um, it was a brand-new tile, um, we had come out of a drought year, so there was a lot of nutrients left in, in that tile line or in the soil to come out of it. And we were one of the highest nitrate samples in the state when, um, when wow. they took those samples. And it was, it was eye-opening. It was humbling. Um, we thought we were doing a pretty good job, but because of the environment that we know we came out of, we knew what was happening. Since then, We've had the last couple years, it's been below the drinking water standard. Oh, wow. And so by using cover crops, um, reduced tillage and all that, we know that some of the practices we're doing on top of the soil is actually making a difference in helping the water down the line. So it's imp- that's important to us, too, to know what we're doing on the land and what impact it's making because we know there's some type of impact. So we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing. Which I think a lot of people don't realize that. You're, you're testing soil, you're, you know, you're keeping, and I think tiling might be a new concept for many dietitians that might be listening to this. Yeah. So, and maybe you can describe that just a Mm -hmm. little bit of how you figured out how many nitrates were in your soil at the time. So like I said, in central Iowa, we're, we have really wet soils. So historically we're a really wet, you know, kind of wetland type soils. And so we take these tile tubes and we, um, drain the water subsurface drainage. And so it, it speeds up, but in order to, you know, to do that, that's the only way we can grow a crop. Otherwise, I don't know what we'd be looking at out here. (laughs) We wouldn't, I might not be here, but, um, so that speeds it up. So within that water profile, you know, we're fertilizing and, um, a lot of that fertilizer, especially, so, you know, you think of last year, And we didn't get a lot of rain at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. So we know that in the soil, um, nitrogen flows through water. And we know from last year, there wasn't a lot of water to flow. So we know there's a lot sitting there. And, And that happens every year. Not a lot of it always sits there. But if it's not used by the crop, it's still in the soil. So 
the tile actually takes that water and moves it downstream. And, you know, there's, I suppose, dietitians know about nitrates in mm-hmm. water and, mm-hmm. and how that affects. So we've worked with um, our, a local, it's Iowa Soybean Association. They actually have a lab in their basement. And they'll, so they'll um, take that water and they'll analyze it to see what's in it. And it's mostly they're looking at the nitrates is really the issues that are going on. And so we know scientifically that if we grow a cover crop, there's less nitrates in that soil. If we, um, because those roots are actually taking it up and then holding it there. And then when the plant dies, it releases it again. So then the crop that we grow can then take it up. And it's actually, you know, there's a lot of other benefits to it, but that's one of the big ones is, is holding that, those nitrates in the water there in the field rather than pushing them downstream. So that's amazing. Data is really, and I think dietitians use a lot of data too, oh, right? Sure, yeah. So <laughs> just, just like that data is, you know, really something we can see from the beginning of our farming career. We're really excited to see where we go mm-hmm. and to see how we move and, and to make changes along the way by using that data because of what we know. Well, environmentally too, you're using cover crops, certain cover crop, you're using different crops throughout the year and rotation that will help make that all be more efficient for you and for the ground and for the community and the environment. Correct. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Is is there any other technologies that you're using here on the farm? There's, there's quite a bit. So there's like the simple technology. It's simple, but so our, when we feed, we feed every day and we put in so many pounds of corn and distillers and things like that. And so we have an iPad that tracks that and it it's cloud-based. And so we can feed it out there. And then, like I said, we feed for other folks so we can bill it out. We can track feed on, you know, how much they've oh, been wow. taking in and how much projected they should be gaining. So the program will tell us, you know, they're gaining right on time. And then we can weigh them and say, is this, you know, real life or is it just the projections? And that's helped us. It's a lot better. When we first started, it was, we used a little paper card and my (laughs) husband, his writing isn't great. And then it would get wet and there'd be feet all over it. And I'd bring it into the office and this works as long as we have internet. Yeah. Always technology (laughs) Technology. is great until the internet doesn't work. (laughs) And then there's things like, um, DNA testing. We, we DNA test our Sorry, I just clicked that. We DNA test our cattle. And so um, we actually take a notch out of their ear and we can send it in and we can see what genetics are in them. So, um, you know, we have cow-calf operation and the goal for those calves is to become meat. And so we want to make sure the animals we're using to breed are actually have the potential of what we want. And so we can, we can look at that DNA and say they have a really good potential for meat or we need to change something because their, their DNA is showing that, you know, their numbers are showing that we're not quite where we want to be with their potential. And so that's kind of cool to look at because it's, it's data within DNA, which is right. Is crazy to me to think about that. There's information from that, that we can use. Um, you know, we take manure samples, so we know how much nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium is in our manure. And that's both good for fertilizer as well as what's coming out of the animal. So we take feed samples to see, we have an idea of, you know, how much energy that the animal is getting, but we can also take feed samples to see if, like, actually what they're getting. Then -hmm. if we take manure samples and we have really high numbers of potassium or phosphorus, we can say, do we, you know, it, Sometimes we have to add phosphorus into the feed for the animal. But if there's a lot coming out, we can say, you know what? Stop feeding that because they're, they're not keeping it all inside. And, you know, dietitians probably understand this mm-hmm. too, that if you want to know. Um, and they probably don't analyze what comes out of people. <laughs> Very, maybe not. not. Maybe it'd be beneficial. <laughs> but. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's another part of taking the manure samples is seeing um, what's coming out and and are we being efficient with the feed? Because obviously, if there's too much coming out, we're not we're not yeah. as efficient as we need to be. Um, we take soil samples to analyze kind of where we're at with um, nutrients within the soil, what they already have available, and organic matter um, things, soil health things that we need to pay attention to. Um, what else? 
We, it's a lot. We, it's a lot that I didn't even, <laughs> wasn't even on my radar. The, it, it, I, let me look at my little notes. I, I know, probably I, for you to remember all the things too. You're like, gosh, what else do we do? I think that those are kind of the, oh, the ultrasound. We actually ultrasound our, so we, um, we can either buy or we can keep back um, heifers that can be used in our breeding program. Sure. And we ultrasound them so we can see if their reproductive tract is good for breeding or not. So mm-hmm. we can decide from early on, you know, instead of waiting until they have a calf and the calf mm-hmm. doesn't make it or something, mm-hmm. we can see early on, is this a good potential animal for our breeding program? And there's some there's some really neat things that, yeah, I'm still learning a lot too. I the mean, DNA thing is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as cattle producers, we're can, I mean we always feel like we're posers because we're pretty new at cattle production compared to some people have been in it for generations. Mm-hmm. And we've, you know, we're, we're really the first generation to, to start here with cattle. So learning from others, working with nutritionists, working with veterinarians, um, working with other producers to learn a lot of this stuff. I mean, that that's really important to our operation. Well, that's like a beef community. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you live in a community, but then you also have this beef community mm-hmm. that helps support like what your goals are with your farm yep. and then how you can learn from them. Yep. And the, the science that goes into it, you know, from Iowa State, other, you know, other colleges that we need to take that information and use it. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so when you think about just future of your farm what do you you know like you said you're new to the farming the beef farming business so when you think about the future of your farm or just beef farming in general what do you kind of think that outlook looks like (laughs) hard to predict it is and if you ask my husband I bet it's different than than what I would say because I'm our kids are so busy that I'd like to just kind of hang out for a little while until they're, (laughs) until they're grown. Then we can start to do some really fun things again. But the main thing right now is our direct sales beef is kind of what we're, that's a whole new world for us again. Um, So the beef we're, we feel like we're pretty good at it, but when we sell it, we usually sell it to a larger packer um, packing plant that, and we don't really see the product after hmm. after we sell it, and and that's how commercial farming it is: is we sell our product and and that it's theirs then. Um, so it's really exciting to us to start to sell direct sales, so we can work with the local lockers. And we've been really happy that they've come back and been like, "This is really good, yeah." And and we've had you know customers that said, "This is awesome." Wow. And and of course, it's a different product than going to the grocery store. Hmm. It's 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 a lot different, but. That's what we're really excited about is to get a really high quality beef at a reasonable price um, to consumers. And in that, they, they know exactly where it's coming from. They know our story. We, you know, we talk about our story all the time, but now we can actually associate it with a label, with a product. And um, just getting that high quality into their hands is just, it's really exciting to think about. It's a whole different world. I don't I don't even know how we're going to continue to do it because it's a lot of work, but, um, but we're, we're kind of committed to do it and really excited about it. It's kind of the newest thing for us, but are you selling just locally in your community so far? Yes. Yep. And we're, we're selling like quarter, half whole beef, freezer beef, but then, um, we're also working with a locker. We have our own label and it's state inspected so we can put it in grocery stores. So the next step is to work with our local grocery stores and get it in there, um, to help drive traffic, you know, local grocery stores, little grocery stores are having a hard time getting people into the store. So if that's one more thing that people look forward to, then great. And then it's a freezer product. So, they don't have to worry about it going bad, the shelf life of it. We need to get it sold within this time frame. If they don't sell it, we told them, just send it back. We're not going to charge you for it. We, we, um, want, we want them to be successful with it. And then we'd hope to you know start working. We have a local golf course that it's like just buy a quarter and then make a whole bunch of meals. Oh, yeah. You know, just figure out what you want to make for specials that day. And there's a lot of exciting things to think about, um, but it's – when we're busy and we're not a retail store. So when people want to come out, it, I always have to laugh because on our website, it says, you know, you can pick it up seven to seven, but I'm like, <laughs> let me know when you're coming out. Cause I might not be here. Yeah. I might be here. So, so it's just one of those, like we're trying to sell retail, but we're not a retail store and sure. not really 
where we want to go. Um, but I think a lot of the cattle stuff, we, we're really enjoying getting consumers out here. We do field days and things. Oh, I think awesome. I think that's one of the things that we'd like to kind of keep going with is, you know, direct sales consumers, getting people out to the farm is really, that's the fun part. That's exciting. Yeah. Now, do you participate in the Beef Quality Assurance Program? We do. So that's something that I don't think a lot of dietitians have on their radar, too. And I know it's an optional. Is Mm -hmm. it optional for your farm to do that? It can be. It can be. And actually, the um, packing plants have now required that um, if we sell them our beef, we need to have a Beef Quality Assurance Certificate on file. And the same kind of goes for the pork um, side as well. So with our pigs, we need to have the pork quality assurance. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things. We know most everything within that, that certification, which is basically it's animal care and how you're supposed to be taking care of the animals. We know most everything, but it's not a bad idea to review it, you know, as, as people and to say that we've reviewed it and we are certified, then I, I think it gives people a better sense of, oh, okay, they, they know this, you know, um, and there's always going to be, I, I feel like there's always going to be those bad actors that make, make us look bad and that I can't do anything about that. So mm-hmm. <laughs> the only thing I can do is we, I mean, we, we care about the animals because like I said, I want to make them as comfortable as possible in making them into meat. And the way to do that is to treat them right. And, and they're so cute. <laughs> they're so cute. They have the best eyelashes. <laughs> well, and I think that's great to know that. I mean, not that if you have to do it, yes, I think that's wonderful, but that you do care about your animals, that you want to make sure that you review those practices. And I mean, like you said, you know it, but that doesn't mean that you can't refresh and mm-hmm. perspective. And yeah. yes, I'm still caring for a living thing. And if it's, you know, if it's asked for by consumers, then that's that's what they want and that's 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 right but yeah anymore there's there's a lot of different people that grow animals and so we sh- it should be something that everyone's okay with and on board with because and i think i think they mostly are yeah. but um it's good to have it's good to have in your pocket to say I have this and, and here it is. So might as well. It's one other thing that I think consumers would look for it just mm-hmm. as far as I think like animal care is a huge mm-hmm. thing for a lot of people. And I know for dietitians too, yes, nutrition is important, but they also have that animal care in mind when they're promoting yes. food to people. Yep. Yep. And I think, you know, in our, in our society, we have a lot of different choices when we go to the grocery store as far as, as food goes. And I think a majority of the meat that people buy, they probably have that BQA at least they may not have the grass fed. They may not be organic. They may, you know, we have so many options. We're very privileged to have that many options and to say, I want my food grown this way. Um, But for the most part, we even have really cheap, affordable, safe food that is most likely grown in a responsible way. And I think we should celebrate that because if you're, if you have a lot of money, extra money to spend on however you want it grown, that is, you can, (laughs) you have Mm -hmm. that option. But if you don't have a lot of extra dollars, you can go walk in to any grocery store and buy the most affordable you can. And it's still grown in the most responsible way. And it provides nutrition, exactly. which is ultimately the right. goal then of that's, all food. That's your goal. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And yeah, protein is a important, important part of that, mm-hmm. of that ration. It's so true. <laughs> we call it ration for the cattle. So it's a ration for people. Ration for humans. <laughs> when you think of one message that maybe you would think dietitians, registered dietitians should know about beef farming, that maybe something that they don't think about when it comes to like, when we think about nutrition most of the time as a farmer, what would you like dietitians to know? I think just that, that, um, beef is a really good way to get protein to people. And there's a lot of different choices. So I think they're all really good options, um, for, for consumers that are looking to get protein into their, into their meals and good protein. Um, I'm a meat and potato kind of girl and I could eat that every day. (laughs) 
too. I really could. And beef is my favorite. Like, Great. Hands down. Great. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> I think that's good though. Like I think talking about, you know, farming practices. Yes. If you have the abil- ability to pay for organic gra- mm-hmm. grain fed, grass fed, but ultimately they're safe quality beef protein exactly. in any way that it's farmed yep. available to us as consumers. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great message. Yes. Okay. So you had, you answered all the easy questions. <laughs> Are you ready for the hard questions? Okay. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what foods do you enjoy? All of them. Um, <laughs> all of them. She says. I've been, real, I've been really frustrated lately though, because I had COVID. Oh, you did. And so now I'm into the things aren't tasting quite like they used to. Oh, so I'm really sad lately because my sour creams, cottage cheese, things like that. I, I really, I really like dairy products. They have a weird smell to them. Oh. And so I've been really disappointed. <laughs> You're like, I hope that goes I know, away eventually. I, I really do. I'm trying to like train, <laughs> train myself to like get it back. But, um, I, that's, that's just really hard. Maybe so should- if I'm going out to eat, my husband jokes with me cause I really love Mexican restaurants. I think, um, I could always have a fajita and queso. Um, <laughs> and then bad. if I'm eating at home, it's generally beef, either ground beef, spaghetti, tacos, um, pizza. All of them. <laughs> Do you have like a favorite recipe that you use beef in that you and your family love? We have like the cycle of recipes and um, I haven't used them lately because we've We've been eating at concession stands all summer. It's <laughs> a <to> baseball, <laughs> softball. But we have like your your typical, you know, um, it's spaghetti or like some type of like lasagna or meatballs mm. on Mondays. Tuesdays are then generally the leftover taco meat. Nice. <laughs> Wednesdays, uh, I'm trying to think during the year. We have we always have steak, so we try to do steak once a week, especially during the summer. Probably twice a week in the summer. Um, roast during the winter, mm-hmm. putting that in a crock pot is just always great. And then in the summer, putting a roast in the crock pot and then just shredding the beef oh, yeah. to make sandwiches is, it's always, it's always good. Absolutely. Um, but I, I honestly, beef is always just part of the, yeah. part of the menu. Yes. As yeah. it should be. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite beverage or beverages that you enjoy? See, that changes during the year too. Sure. So Seasonal. I'm, I'm doing a dry June, so no alcohol during June. And so Mountain Dew has been my my drink of choice. (laughs) You need it for all the things you're doing. (laughs) But really, um, wine during the the winters is always kind of my adult beverage. And then during the summer, margaritas. Well, it goes with Mexican food. Exactly. And then wine goes really good with roast. Exactly. Exactly. I like like your style. Snuggle snuggle up. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any scents or smells that you enjoy? See, that one kind of changes seasonally too, because fresh mowed hay and like grass during the summer is one of my favorites. Um, and then during like the spring, that smell of rain, you know, yeah. when you can kind of smell the, the earthy smell. Um, but if we're talking like inside smells, I can't, I can't go wrong with vanilla. It's, it's always just a, easy it's not overwhelming it's just kind of a a good smell but people always laugh too because um you know to people who aren't around livestock pigs and cattle and all of them smell the same but I'm like oh no they smell so much different cattle (laughs) cattle have a sweet smell pigs is just a little soury more smell but they I don't mind them (laughs) That's so true, though. They do not smell the same. No, they don't. You can tell when you're driving. You're exactly. Like, oh, they have pigs. Oh, yep. they got cows. Exactly. Yeah, those you are know chickens. It. You know it. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, if you were not currently doing your profession as a beef farmer, what would you be doing professionally? Most likely something in conservation. There's a lot of things out there right now um, within conservation in Iowa, um, and as it should be. And I'd most likely be doing something with that. I'd, I'd like to think so anyway. Yeah. Otherwise, um, a professional, maybe, um, like sit on a beach type oh, thing. Oh, I, you know, that, that career sounds amazing. <laughs> maybe someday when you retire, I can put my feet up and, and do that. But, um, yeah, it'd be something in conservation. <laughs> what brings you joy in life? Uh, probably my kids. The most, they also cause 
frustration, but (laughs) you know, majority of the time it is the joy. They're, they're a lot of fun, um, to help, you know, learn their way through life. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of things that they have to look forward to. And, um, it kind of brings you back to being a kid when they're around. Cause I think my mom is in there playing cards. Actually, I heard a kitten inside. Um, <laughs> they brought a cat inside. <laughs> I thought I heard that too. I was like, meow. <laughs> they're, you know, they want to play games. They want to play cards. They want to go do things. And, um, we've had a lot of fun with them. We got a camper and a boat and they're, they're just fun to be able to go out and find things to do. And that's, that's good. That's good. That's good joy. I think everything about you is joyful though. Oh, Just you. being here with you and having this experience today has brought me a lot of joy. So well, thank you so that. much. I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. Oh, I'm blushing. <laughs> well, I look forward to, I will definitely look forward to continuing to follow your journey. Yeah. I'm excited. I yeah. also am excited about your direct beef sales and yeah. Just really staying. I hope we can stay in touch and um, keep spreading the good word about beef farming. Well, we'll try to. And I appreciate you coming out here to spread the good word. And I'll look forward to um, finding you through everything else now. I'll just come follow you. Yeah, we'll just just stalk each other a little bit. (laughs) That's what you do. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. There's nothing more special than going to a farm in person Getting to have that conversation with a farmer who truly cares about their animals, about their farm, about the families they feed, but then also care about the earth and doing all the things that they possibly can to make their practices, their farming practices safe, their farming practices creating quality product. And I loved how Kelly talked about how she wants their livestock, their cattle, to really kind of take care of themselves. And she's just kind of there to help them along because that's gonna create a much healthier product for the consumers that they feed. I am so grateful for how she is just so passionate about about conservation. I think a lot of us as dietitians, we think about that and have it on our minds all the time when it comes to meat. And truly there's nothing better than hearing about it and seeing it firsthand. And so I hope you learned a lot from this podcast. I do encourage you to go follow Kelly on her social media. I did link it in the show notes, but especially on Facebook at Blair Farms LLC. And Blair is B-L-A-I-R. She shares a lot of things just about her family life, about what they do on the farm. And she shared the most delicious beef with me. It was fantastic. We had burgers on the grill. And I am just so grateful for this experience. I am also very grateful to the Iowa Beef Council for sponsoring this podcast and giving me the opportunity to have this conversation. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.